CIUT 89.5, the sound of your city. Stream CIUT at www.ciut.fm. Hello and welcome to another edition of The More the Merrier with Donna G. Still getting over my cold, but you might hear um, some of it during my interviews that are coming up. The first is with Jack Bloom and Sharon Corder. They are both the founders of National Canadian Film Day, which is happening April the 19th all around the country i should say all around the globe and they'll hear they'll be here to tell you more about that then i'll be joined by mike payette who is the artistic director of the tarragon theater he is directing the play paint me this house of love which will be running at the tarragon until may the 7th after that you'll hear my interview with brenda yord about her film, The Homes We Carry, a documentary which will be screening at this year's Canadian International Documentary Festival, which runs April 27th to May 7th, commonly known as Hot Docs. Hope you enjoy the show. And if you want to ever get in touch with me, you can reach me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at TMTM with Donna G. Or you can go to www.ciut.fm, click on The More the Merrier every Sunday, 1 p.m. to find out that information. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM, The More the Merrier with Donna G. And joining me are Sharon Corder and Jack Bloom. And they are the ones that started National Canadian Film Day. And I'm so excited about that because I love Canadian film. So welcome you both to CIUT. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Uh, Sharon, why should other yes. people be excited? You should be excited because there's so much going on and you can partake of it. Um, there's enough going on that everyone literally in the country can participate. Um, there are screenings locally in many communities in every province and territory. And there are hundreds of Canadian films being screened on broadcast, almost all of the broadcast and streaming services, as well as many things that we're offering. So that's there's a lot going on. There's over 1,500 live screenings across the country. Jack, um, why did you two decide to start National Canadian Film Day in the first place? Well, Real Canada started um, 18 years ago. We were bringing Canadian film to high schools, and uh, we started showing Canadian film to new Canadians. And we were so pleased with how that went. The Our audiences seemed so excited just to get the opportunity to see Canadian film that we thought it would be great if at least for one day a year regular Canadians could have access to Canadian film could hear about them could actually go and see them because Canadian and it turns out Canadians really liked that and embraced it our first year in 2014 we had 70 screenings across the country which we thought was big and we thought <laughs> wow this is big and then you heard Sharon say this here it's going to be uh, over 1500 live screenings. These are in independent cinemas, film festivals, libraries, community centers, retirement homes, legion halls, schools, schools, libraries. Um, so it has grown really based on the fact that clearly 
Canadians want to see their own films. They just have trouble finding them. Yeah, it's not always easy, as you probably know, to find a Canadian film. Yes. And um, there used to be a first weekend club that uh, yes, I used to help did. that I used to help push Canadian films back in the day. Oh, good and, for you. Yeah. And I I have seen a difference um, in in terms of the number of Canadian films, especially English language Canadian films yes. that are coming out. But there's still that, you know, push to, to have them in the theater for longer. So well, it's also get to, for people to get to hear about them because we the budgets that we have on our films here like john wick the budget they have to tell you when john wick is coming where it will be and uh is just so much vaster than the budget for all of the films being made in canada so well it could, i think his salary would fund a lot of yes. canadian films <laughs> exactly so. could fund us for 20 years so. yes so there's this all you can eat buffet Yes. All you can watch buffet. Oh, sorry, all you can eat. All you, you can know watch. what? We kept saying that. We kept saying that in our own team. We kept saying, "No, it's all you can watch." So, all you can watch buffet. Tell me the different sections in this in this all you can watch buffet. Uh, okay, you've caught us. I've just got to grab it. I know. Yeah, like just Urban just the, just the different sections. So, well, there's caviar and champagne. Um, there's jello salads which are for comedies you have to say what they are oh oh, oh so caviar and champagne is for award-winning films um jello salads is for um comedies uh urban, urban, Garden. Ur urban gardens is for films that take place in um in, so they spotlight in, in cities. cities they spotlight specific cities spring harvest are very recent uh releases Farm to Table are rural, rural films. Butcher's Choice are horror films. Molecular Gastronomy are those strange little uh, Canada films. Weird. Yeah, Canada Weird. I like that. I That's good. Uh, Dinner with a Celebrity is films about famous people. And Freshly Picked is uh, films that have just... Um, Been released. Yeah, sorry. Spring Harvest are coming-of-age films. Yeah, I didn't correct you. I was very polite. Oh, very nice. Thank you. <laughs> So there's 10 categories, 10 films in each category. You can design any menu you want. And how do you design the menu? It's up to you, whatever your tastes are. You can design a menu from one whole cat. Like if you're just a horror fan and you want to watch from early in the morning to late at night, uh, you can watch horror films if you want to mix it up. It's just totally up yeah, to you. Yeah, the idea is um, for the 10th anniversary, rather than sort of pick a theme as we did last year with Indigenous films. Yeah, last year we had a great year of uh, celebrating all the wonderful Indigenous film that exists. And this year, um, we just thought, let's go for let's go for the whole. We, we, want, we wanted to feature the incredible range of what is available in Canadian film. We wanted to appeal to every taste and we wanted people to just be excited about the 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 amount of fantastic movies of all kinds so it doesn't matter what what kind of tastes you have there's a canadian film that you're going to enjoy yeah if you like movies at all you're gonna we've got something for you the buffet exists only in your imagination where you can watch there are as we said 1500 screenings across the country one of our favorites is a, a small town called hay river and they have one. Hey, hey River is way up north. Way and, and they have one theater. And the French 
the Anglophone Society and then the English um, and the, Fra the Francophone Society. They're they're competing groups that use that. They're theater. not competing. They, they compete. cooperate. Oh no, they're at each other's throats. They they cooperate <laughs> and they um, one of them gets the, the theater for one screening and the other one gets the screening for another one. And this so is population like two thousand. Yeah, and we we Hay River is one of our our team loves Hay River. They're terrific. They're Film enthusiasts. Sounds like it. So look uh, on... Uh, go to canfilmday.ca and there you can find a screening near you if you want to go to a live screening. You can find out what's happening online because there are several films that are streaming free to Canadians across the country. Uh, and you can find out what's happening on broadcast and streaming services. All of the broad... Almost all of the broadcasters and streaming services are um, screening hundreds of Canadian films on that day. All free, except there's one that is um, a nominal charge. This uh, One of the things that happened this last year was that we lost two major filmmakers. We lost Jeff Barnaby, a very important Indigenous filmmaker, and we lost the uh, Canadian legend Gordon Pinsent. So we're having tribute screenings to them across the country and in specific places. And the Gordon Pinsent, uh, one of, we have Gordon Pinsent Marathon at Scotiabank. In Toronto. In Toronto. And uh, one of those screenings, John and the Misses, his masterpiece, which will be hosted by Colm Fior and Mary Walsh, uh, is a, there's a $10 fee to go to the Actors Fund in Gordon's name. So it's not much to pay, but uh, all the rest of them all across the country are free. Jeff Barnaby, uh, that was oh, a what, shock what a to me. Because, yes, I still mourn the films that will never be. Absolutely. Will, will not um, come from him because he was such an original voice, you know, such an original, fierce voice. Yeah. Uh, well, we have um, for anyone in Canada, we're going to be screening Blood Quantum and uh, we're not screening it. It's But if you go to our website, you can find it there. CBC has offered it on Jim for free with no ads for the day, for the entire day. So anyone can watch Blood Quantum, and we've got added material. We've we've got a tribute to Jeff, and his first short film, his first short film, and uh, so anyone can can join in and, and celebrate Jeff's work. Same thing with Gordon Pinsent. We've got uh, John and the Missus again, and well, got, online streaming free for everybody, and the Grand Seduction, and the Grand Seduction uh, with a lovely introduction by Don McKellar, the um, director. the director of Grand Seduction. And the website is canfilmday.ca. Okay. Everything can be found there. Now, surprisingly enough, uh, Clement Virgo just cleaned up. Yes, he did. I don't think it's a total surprise. At the Canadian Screen Awards. And he's yeah. gonna, and, and it's going to be presented in Yellowknife. Yes. And I think Isn't that's that fantastic. Great? Yeah. Isn't that great? And he has sent them, he recorded a greeting for, for his, that screening. For One that. of the things to know about the day is that for a lot of these screenings, the filmmakers, if they can't actually turn up, and sometimes they can't because there are 20 different screenings, they'll record a special greeting or a special commentary for after the screening um, to make it a little bit special for National Canadian Film Day. So Clement did that for Yellowknife. And there's some screenings happening in the States. You, there is oh this is so fun I'm so glad you brought it up uh, so there's a, a a university in Myrtle Beach called Coastal Coastal Carolina University Coastal Carolina University it's our second year with them and they are just rabid Canadian film fans and they have films the whole day they've got four different films screening they turn the cafeteria they're 
they're celebrating with Canadian food. We don't know for sure besides poutine what they've got, but they're they're, they're offering Canadian fare for the whole cafeteria. There, one of the films you're screening is Beans, um, the wonderful film by Tracy Deer, and Tracy. They're they're flying. We're flying Tracy down to uh, do a Q and A with their students, and they've invited several local indigenous communities to come and have a whole, they're having a whole big deal with it. And she's very excited and we're very excited. And it's, uh, they're just terrific partners. They go crazy for national Canadian. They are so fun. And other uh, Canadian screen awards uh, winners, uh, Sud Sutherland. Uh, love sex and eating the bone suds a film that i have always liked that i always felt didn't get enough attention i mean i feel that about almost all canadian films um but uh it's there's going to be a he's got a 35 millimeter print that's going to be on screening at the royal um and uh, he'll be there he'll be there and it's free and it's a great film your audience in particular might really like it. It's it's I think it's fun and smart. And another CSA award winner, I like movies by uh, Chandler Lewack, is in going to be playing in Argentina, and they're flying her down uh, wow. to uh, do that. And um, uh, Madison Thomas, who actually uh, created a short film for National Canadian Film Day for us uh, two, two years, years ago, ago. Um, uh, who just won for Buffy uh, Saint Marie. Uh, it's one of our most popular screenings and it's all across the country and uh, lots of screenings of that. And she's recorded a message for um, those audiences. Um, there are more. Oh, there's, 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 there are tons. Yeah. So uh, we're, we've been, we've been very fortunate to have uh, the filmmakers. So many of them. Oh, uh, Jennifer Holness, who just won for uh, subjects of desire. Uh, we'll be doing a Q and a with, Emerging Lens in Halifax. Uh, in Halifax. And in Vancouver, Rice Boy Sleeps, another Canadian yes, Award winner. Yes, the Vancouver Asian Film Festival. Film Festival is, uh, they're they're going to be showing Rice Boy Sleeps. And they have, I don't know if it's going to be live or recorded, but the Albertson is going to uh, be doing uh, something for them, definitely. Yeah, I think it's a pre-recorded uh, interview yeah. with, with Albert. You two have been amazing. Thank so you have for you. joining me uh, to you. talk about these films. Now, if people, I don't know how things, how long things are going to be up on the site. Is it just for the day or can people tune in after to see some, some things? Some things will be available afterwards. Like we're, we're live streaming this Q&A with, with uh, Elmaya Tailfeathers, the star of Blood Quantum, mm-hmm. by Jason Ryle. That'll go up on our YouTube channel. That'll be there. Um most of the special video that we create, the tribute videos to Gordon and to uh, to Jeff, that stuff will stay. The movies are only free for the day. Right. But people can look for them. Oh, um, they can definitely look for them. Handfilmday.ca. Okay. Well, I'm glad some things will be up afterwards. Uh, let's keep the ball rolling on, on Canadian film. Absolutely. You know? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We'll Don. see you there, I hope, on Wednesday. Yeah. Yes, so definitely. What's going on? <laughs> Yes, I'll be there. Okay, great. You're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G. Joining me is Mike Payette. He is the artistic director of the Tarragon Theatre. And uh, reading about Mike, it strikes me that it's a long way since he played Winnie the Pooh in grade two. (sighs) 
to becoming artistic director of the Tarragon and now the director of a play that we're going to discuss called Paint Me This House of Love. So, Mike, welcome to CIUT. Welcome to The More the Merrier. Thanks so much, Donna. And I got to say, I got to change my bio at some point because that Winnie the Pooh, uh, uh, you know, link, is it haunts me year after year. <laughs> I keep forgetting that it's there. Anyway, thanks for having me, Donna. You know what? Everybody can relate to Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, it's, sure. it's, it's endearing. Now, I want to <laughs> yeah. make, let's make that leap. How did you go from Winnie the Pooh to, um, I also want to mention, that you are a two-time Montreal English Theatre Award recipient. So uh, let's find out about you, Mike, before we go into the play. So for, did Winnie the Pooh ignite your love of theatre? <laughs> you know, I was a pretty shy kid, right? And, uh, and uh, you know, my mom, uh, I, was, I was raised by a single, you know, single mom and pretty, pretty you know, economically lower there in terms of, terms of opportunities in terms of you know the household all that stuff and there was a um there was a, a extracurricular um drama class that uh was being offered for the first time in my uh in my primary school in montreal and uh one of my my french teacher actually she she encouraged me to go and take that class uh you know to to see what sort of expression to see how i could maybe come out of my shell a little bit because like I said I was pretty shy I was pretty reserved and I was also a sick kid you know I had a lot of time in hospitals so I was like in that world anyway so uh it took taking that class which was a sort of performance class we did a little sharing a little production of this French version of Winnie the Pooh's called like the Enchanted Forest or La Forêt Enchantée in French and I was just Winnie Lourson I was Winnie the Pooh so not in like the a big like musical Winnie the Pooh type of Disney world. No, it was, a, it was a very short offering. But that was that was coupled alongside this troupe that came to my school and performed a, a play. Um, and the, it was from a company called Jordi, uh, Jordi Productions in Quebec, which I ended up being the artistic director almost 30 years after that time. And I started to to see myself in in storytelling. I started to see what uh what imagination what um being able to you know sort of transport to other worlds what it was doing to my confidence what it was giving to me in terms of recognizing a voice that i didn't necessarily know that i had and uh i you know i couldn't necessarily articulate it at that time but it was really the seedlings of this philosophy that i have that art really does save lives and, and that has really championed a lot of the decisions or the paths that I've been fortunate to walk along um, in my artistic journey and artistic leadership journey. And, and so that, you know, it was just, it was that nugget of Winnie Lourson, Winnie the Pooh, thanks to my French teacher, Madame Villodeau, uh, who, who just encouraged me to, to find something in this environment of expression and freedom of voice and imagination. Which is why the arts are so important in school. Um, it's not all, you know, science and math. We need the arts as well because every kid needs to to find their niche, to find something that they're good at. And without the arts, those people who uh, belong there won't mm. have the sense of belonging and the growth that you were able uh, 
to 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 journey on to continue on absolutely um, i mean it's, it's about communication right it's not just about theater making or filmmaking it's also the the impact to how do we talk to each other how do we engage in conversations with each other uh you know explore the human conditions and become critical leaders critical thinkers and community leaders i should say yeah the arts are really you know they they are the intersection of all of the things that we do whether in math and engineering there's arts and everything exactly and uh without that you wouldn't have had the confidence uh to become artistic director of Jordy <laughs> theater and now artistic director of the tarragon how long have you been with the tarragon theater here in toronto so it's my first official season i inherited uh the season 21 22 from my predecessor richard rose who's with the company for about 18 years mm-hmm. and um so i came in my transition started 2021 so september 20 i was appointed in march 21 and i started in september 21 and then i moved uh, i was doing some double duty between Geordie and tarragon for a few months and then i moved to toronto at the end of at the end of that year so guess it's been over just over a year that I've uh, been in the city that I love. Uh, I love this community. I love the thriving uh, 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 artistic community here. Uh, It is such a uh, a wonderful entry point for me who I've worked here in the city before, never at Tarragon, but in other other venues and have such mad respect for my, for my, you know, what was my base in Montreal with the Toronto community and, uh, so it's, it hasn't been yet two years, but it feels like it's been a lot longer. <laughs> so, so, I, so you're, I, you're I still in the, you're, you're still in the honeymoon period, but. No, um, no, no, that's done. That's done. I'm in it. I'm in it. <laughs> you're you're <laughs> in it. Okay. Um, do you see a difference between um, Montreal theater and Toronto theater besides the language, but just the things that are being produced? Do you, do you see a difference? Yeah, I do. I do. And I think a, a really important distinction is that, you know, Ke- Quebec is, is a, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a mono, it's not homogenous. There's a really rich, thriving Anglophone um, uh, artistic community. And I work predominantly in English in, in Montreal. And, but there's also like a beautiful cultural backdrop that is inspired by you know, our Francophone uh, or Quebecois peers that really embrace different, uh, you know, disciplines, you know, in terms of the interdisciplinary work. um, There's a lot of it. It's very, it's very, very rich and it's ingrained in, um, in, in the overall culture of Quebec from a very early age. Whereas here, I think the, the sort of relationship is a little bit different to, to culture. Um, However, uh, what I'm seeing so far is that there's lots of there's lots of daring, you know. There's lots of uh, artistic uh, investigation happening in Toronto, which is very much akin to Quebec or Montreal, and that's really exciting, especially as the the overall you know Canadian artistic landscape um, evolves or the ecology evolves. Toronto's you know is, has always been such an anchor for the arts in Canada. You know, it's such a large um, epicenter of, of, of theater making and you're starting to see that a lot on stages and more companies taking significant artistic ri- risks and engaging in stories and storytellers that they might not have programmed before and also you know uh, 
so that's so that's really that's really exciting. I think you you know you'll you'll often see you know the hugely commercially successful uh, play in Montreal in the same way that you'll see Toron in Toronto. Um, you know that that is there's an equivalence uh, there, but uh, but what I'm there's a lot more theater I would say in English certainly in Toronto there's a lot more companies, and there's an there's a particular respect. Um, that audience uh, or, or appreciation that audiences have and artists have for for companies and you know there's a lot of support like people go see theater uh, and even though a lot of companies share audience like the audience goes and there's a curiosity and they want to be challenged and that's a, that's a really exciting thing about uh, the Toronto community that you know the Anglo Montreal community um, is uh, constantly in negotiation and recognizing what its audience. Oh, because of the French backdrop. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, previously, I thought Montreal theater was um, more avant-garde in terms of the experimental aspect of their theater. But what I'm seeing post-COVID here in Toronto is um, more boundary pushing than mm -hmm. I've seen before, which is exciting to me. You're so. Totally right. Yeah. So let's get to the play that we're going to talk about. That's the it's I believe it's the last of your season. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the last of the, the main stage programming. We do have a, a an add on limited um, uh, a limited appearance show of She's Not Special by Fatuma Adar, uh, who's it's, but it's only five performances. But this is the last run production of my first season. And it's called Paint Me This House of Love. Uh, tell me how you got involved with this play. So the playwright Chelsea Woolley was the um, RBC Emerging Playwright um, recipient, Award recipient in 1819, I believe, while Richard, was, uh, while Richard Rose was still the AD. And she she developed this. It's partly inspired by. Um, do you mean twenty? Do you mean twenty eighteen? You said eighteen nineteen. Sorry, yeah, twenty eighteen, <laughs> eight twenty nineteen. Sorry, no, okay. oh, no, 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 yeah, that way, <laughs> way back in eighteen nineteen. Oh, I was no. like, wow, <laughs> she's no, been no. around a long time. And no, she's been around. She, she she's great. She doesn't look a day old, you know. <laughs> anyway, whatever. No, no, eighteen nineteen and um, twenty eighteen, uh, twenty nineteen. She. There's a few references that you know inspired uh, this, the the launch into writing this play. Partly, you know, uh, her own relationship with um, family dynamics or curiosity of family dynamics, but also um, wanted to create a play that tested the scope of how we communicate um, with each other and the the ways in which we try to fill in the gaps of what is lost in relationships through fables or through lies and uh through a, a form of writing that um that I'll, I'll, i'm happy to speak about but a form of writing that complements um a very contemporary fresh um script uh where we i'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the the play itself it, it's um it focuses on the journey of of uh, uh cecilia who's in her mid uh, mid late 30s and one day her father, her strange father of 25 years shows up at her door. And the, the play, which takes place in three, you know, over the course of three, four days is really the journey of them coming 
together, finding a path in which they can come together. And like I said, fill in the gaps of memory in, in the ways that uh, can propel them to move forward, but also call each other on what is truth and what might what is what is fiction. There's also an adult, uh, you know, there's also her mother in there, Rondi. And so it's really the family dynamic that, that is that is the backdrop of this really complex, really beautiful and heartbreaking story of this family trying to work its through work its way through um, when words are not always the are, are not always enough, you know. And so we in the script there's um, these fragmentations of thought, you know, not incomplete sentences, words taken out um, because. Uh, because that's partly in the way people speak, but it also creates a sort of musicality uh, or rhythmic aspect to the overall play. It's like creating a, it's like a composition more than it is just a script. And it's, it's really fascinating and, and uh, I'm having a lot of fun uh, creating it. Yeah, and you're co-directing with Carolyn Fay. Well, yeah, Carolyn's my assistant uh, director. I, I am the, the director on the show. And it's great having, you know, Carolyn, um, you know, in the room as well. I've known her for years, for decades, and she's also an ex a Montreal expat. And so she's uh, you've been turning up here in the Toronto community, and she's our artist in residence at Tarragon right now. And so she's uh, supporting our process in really lovely ways. You've got two uh, actors making their debut at Tarragon, uh, Jeremiah Sparks and also Jessica B. Hill. Jess is... Um, I'm really, I'm really, really fortunate to have uh, such an astounding cast, you know, and it's, it's rounded out by Tanya Jacobs, who is, uh, you know, uh, a vet in, uh, in the community. Well, they all are, but uh, she has, you know, worked at Tarragon for many, many years, a lot during the time of Urgil Coretta. Uh, and so she's coming back after so much time. But yeah, having this, this trio on this play uh, that speaks to family and that is uniquely related to, in some ways, you know, their own, their own relationships to family, including my relationship to family. Like it's really a spirited, um, gracious and uh, warm um, room. And uh, Jessica is our, you know, Jess who's playing um, Cecilia. She really is the, the anchor of this story. And the, the, the sort of emotional journey the, is absolutely astounding to see her work. And having somebody like Jeremiah Sparks who, who, you know, is also nationally known and they all are, but, you know, I'd seeing, you know, when he was younger in like the early 2000s and he played Mufasa and the, you know, Canadian Broadway tour, Lion King and having him in our space and playing with us. I, it's just super, it's just, it's really lovely to work. And with. Tanya Jacobs, I, as you mentioned, she hasn't been at the Tarragon for a while, but I remember seeing her in Girl in the Go Goldfish Bowl and mm. Eliza's Skin and and many yeah. others. So uh, the audience will be happy to see her on, on stage again at, at the Tarragon. But getting back to this uh, language that Chelsea uses, um, in directing it, how do you sort of frame it so that it's it's not too obscure um, uh, for for the audience? That's a really great question. It's a it's a, a like no lie. You know, going into this, it's when I programmed it, I'm like, okay, this is the challenge is creating a logic uh, and ensuring that the 
the the offer of Chelsea is not just about form. It's not just about, hey, look how cool this idea is of breaking down. Like it still has to make sense, right? And so we spent a lot of time, um, everybody in the room, first of all, filling in the gaps of thought um, to so that there was an understanding of what was being, uh, what wasn't being said rather, you know? Uh, so filling, yeah, filling in the gaps there when it came to the thoughts so that we can really clear out uh, or clarify what the map of, of each of the scenes were and the, the various beats that are within the scene, not unlike, you know, any, any other process where you break it, you know, you break a script down into beats and units and that, and that work. But as I mentioned before, there is a rhythm to it. And so there'll be moments where uh, there's an exchange of like just one word, whether it be I or ah, like A-H, and all those two lines uh, have meaning and they're, 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 there's intention to them. And it's working out what, how one intention bridges into another so that there is a sense, an understanding, even if the words aren't there, that there's an understanding of what's going on. We're currently in previews and um, the, the sort of final piece of the puzzle is, is learning from audience reaction. What is it that they are picking up? What is it that they're not picking up? Is the overall story clear? Um, and uh, and with, within the fragments itself. And it's been really fascinating. The ability, well, we know this, the, our, our ability to, to interpret as human beings when information is not explicit. And so it's playing a little bit on that as well. And every audience member is gonna pick up on something different as opposed to a sort of universal wash, which is very, very intentional. Even though there's a very clear map of the story in terms of the, you know, the actions and what happens from a narrative place, there's also a, that awesome little bit of freedom of an audience picking up, okay, did this just happen? Did I just, did I miss this? Am I understanding this right? And there's actually no wrong answer there. So That's it's, great. Uh, it's really, it's really fun. I got it. Yeah. But yeah. It's, the response has been great so far. Because that's going to make for interesting discussion after the play. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I mean, if, if, if nothing else, that's what we're, that's what we're all doing as, as storytellers and artists, right? We're trying to provoke and inspire that, that conversation about what is experienced altogether. This play is certainly going to do that. So this play runs until May the 7th with the official opening on April the 20th. But there's also a Chevu happening starting on May the 2nd. Can you tell me right. about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're actually filming it right now. Um, uh, we're, I'm, I'm on break from filming, actually. So, yeah, for the whole season, we've offered this uh, initiative called uh, Tarragon Chevu, which uh, for those folks who either might not be in the city or might be uh, still a little bit wary of, of going into, you know, into a theater post-COVID times, well, not post-COVID times, we're, we're, we're still in COVID times. You know, we wanted to create a way to make theater uh, remain accessible. And so all of our shows have been filmed um, as part of this series. And so we have ostensibly seven filmed shows that have been on offer. Um, and continue, will continue to be on offer until uh, until about the end of June, and so yeah, this is the this is the last uh, uh, contribution to that series, and uh, it's been really it's been really dope seeing um, seeing some of the the analytics of of who who's been watching from abroad, and so we have folks 
from all over Canada, certainly in the U.S., all over North America, really. And then we have folks, you know, in in, in Japan and China and Australia, uh, other in uh, parts of Europe. And so you can really see the impact of what the what these shows are and what the arts can do, even if you were not sharing the safe space. I think this is a good way for the future to have this hybrid. As much as you need, you know, bums and seats to make money, um, it's also great for people who are not able to make it out to the theater to still experience um, the arts where they are. And for people who wouldn't necessarily, like, historically have access, regardless of geography, historically wouldn't have access to to uh, to arts in these sort of cities. Like we're like some of the northern regions, seeing like like vast scope of of uh, cultural uh, communities. Uh, it's uh, it's really humbling. Um, to, to, to know that people are still experiencing work, theater, the arts, even through a digital format. Yeah, it's not the same uh, as no. being in the house no. with, uh, with different people because you can get a different response each night to a play. But totally. um, it's nice that that accessibility is there for those who cannot uh, come in person. Mike Payette, Winnie the Pooh, thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, please keep that in your bio. Um, okay. because I'll, it's do, an, I'll it's, do it for you. Yeah, it's an important uh, connection uh, to people. And it gets it's, a, it's an icebreaker. And it's such a wonderful story to know that because of that play, you are where you are today. You know, oh, no longer, okay. no longer the shy kid. I'll take that, Donna. I'll take that advice. Thanks for that vote of confidence. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, the website for people, please. www.tarragontheater.com You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. This is The More the Merrier with Donna G. And joining me from Germany is Brenda Jorde to talk about her film, The Homes We carry which will be screening at toronto's hot docs brenda welcome via zoom to toronto hello. and to ciut hey nice to meet you hello so your film is an interesting one uh to me because i've int been interested in the stories of um afro-germans uh for a while this story is a little different for me because I didn't know about um, the workers from Mozambique. So why don't we start by you introducing your the subject of your film, a synopsis of your film, and then we'll get into it. Um, yeah, my film, The Homes We Carry, is about uh, a political betrayal that happened between GDR, so Eastern Germany, and Mozambique. Um, but it's even more about the personal consequences that came from it. So let me start in the beginning. Um, yeah, when Germany was still separated, uh, Eastern Germany was socialist and they were yeah, asking a lot of people from Mozambique um, to work. And what was promised to these Mozambicans was, um, yeah, was a good education, a job that would help them in their country. So it was a good promise, and uh, around 20,000 Mozambicans um, worked in Germany. But they came to Germany, and actually they couldn't choose the, the jobs that they wanted to do. So, for example, the protagonist of my film, he ended up in a nuclear power plant. And in my film, he says, this was not 
thought through because a power plant is something that Mozambique doesn't have until today. The skills that he learned were not really useful. So, um, yeah, that was one point that they couldn't really choose the jobs and the jobs were not really profiting them later on. And the big, big thing is that uh, a part of their salary was not given to them straight away. The workers were thinking that a part of the money was sent back to Mozambique and was waiting for them. So once they went back to Mozambique, when the wall came down and when they were kind of expelled from Germany because they were not needed anymore, um, they thought, okay, we will get this money and maybe we can find a way to get back to Germany because some of them had families, had kids, had women that they had left behind because it was mostly men. Um yeah, but then they came to Mozambique and this big part of their salary, it was between 20 and 60% that had been reducted, uh, was not there. Sometimes, um, yeah, government officials were taking the checks from them. Sometimes a little part was paid, but until today, a part of their salary has not been paid. So, um, yeah, there's these weekly demonstrations that I also show in the film. Um and it's just super crazy that it's a part of German history that is also in Germany quite unknown and not talked about. And yeah, luckily in the last years, there's a lot of work from an NGO. And I hope also this film can help to get this discussion going. And there is something moving right now in German government. But yeah, it's it's been 30 years, you know, these men are really old. Some and, of them yeah, have died. Some of them have died, exactly. So yeah. this is how, how the story starts, let's say like this. But then in my film, I'm focusing on yeah, the daughter of one of these um, contract workers um, who didn't grow up with the father. And yeah, in the film, she is reflecting about her identity. She's traveling between um, the countries and... How were how were you introduced to to Sarah, the daughter and um, her father Ulidio? So actually, I met uh, the cinematographer and co-director of the film David in university, and he had um, lived in Mozambique for one year as a yeah as a volunteer doing volunteer jobs and. Um, as a German, at one point, you just come across this demonstration. So he had known um, or he had seen the demonstration with his own eyes. And uh, he also had met Sarah in Mozambique doing a language course. <laughs> so when he told me about Sarah um, and about the story that I didn't know, I was super eager to get to know her and yeah, to do this film with him because I think it's really important we we don't forget or we just know about the different origins of black um, Germans for me this family was a great opportunity to talk about so many things you know <laughs> you yourself are Afro-German would you mind um, sharing a bit about yourself no not at all um, yeah so my father is Ghanaian my mom is German so <laughs> yeah I grew up also with my mom like the protagonist in my film I didn't have the black parent very present, which, um, yeah, similar to my protagonist, um, 
made me struggle a bit with really identifying also as black because in Germany we are seen as black but if you don't have your black parent with you it's it's kind of weird and I also grew up in a small city in Germany where there was not a lot of um, black kids around so I also think for me it happened quite late that I connected um, to Ghana and yeah with traveling as well as Sarah my protagonist I I got more confidence and found kind of a way to yeah just be just be proud of who you are you know I think this really the travels really helped me to do that before traveling with Sarah had you been to Mozambique before um, me as a kid I went to Ghana quite often to see my dad but uh, it was the first time in Mozambique and I really loved it it's really very welcoming country also the families no, of Sarah they all welcomed us really really nicely um when we went to Mozambique we didn't know if we could even do this film because we had um tried to get in touch with the families but it's really hard to imagine for them also what it means you know to do the film and so when we went to Mozambique we had no idea if our idea would actually work out if they would be willing to participate um but yeah everything worked out fine <laughs> so because David she, introduced you and yeah. when you told her what you plan to do mm. what was her response what was her initial response obviously she was okay with it because she did the yeah. film but what was her initial response yeah I think for her this travel was quite emotional and on one hand she was really happy to have David who was already a friend and me I became a friend to have people with her on this very emotional travel so that was one thing um on the other hand, it was also, of course, um, challenging for her because we as filmmakers, we ask more questions. And um, of course, it's also a different journey if there's a camera. Um, I think in the beginning, none of us really knew what this would mean because that was my first film. It was actually the first time I was working with a cinematographer, the first time, yeah, doing such a such a big project. So I tried to be as transparent as I could um, but I also didn't know really how long it would take and uh, what it would mean for her, for me. So, yeah, we all found out on on the way while doing, um, always readjusting some things. and Yeah, because you had done short films before, but you'd never done a feature. Exactly. So and you had good. all of that to deal with. Exactly. Especially we choose to, um, yeah, work in a very observatory mode. So following the protagonists, being there at their encounters. And that was a style that I hadn't done before. Um, even her, um, even Sarah's mother, Ingrid, said, I hate being on camera. <laughs> <laughs> and you had to, you had to respect that. Exactly. Um, yeah, she's someone a lot of people are missing a bit in the film. Um, but exactly, it's something you... Yeah, you need to accept that's documentary. It's not you're not having like paid actors. It's people, and you have to respect their choices and how much they're also willing to share and so on. How long were you in um, Mozambique? So we actually went twice. The first time we went for two months, and the second time we went for a smaller shoot just because some some images were missing to really feel the country. Because um, on the first. The first time we went there, we were so close with Sarah um, that we kind of, yeah, forgot to take wider shots. 
Um, yeah, but in total, so it was three months that I was there, uh, which was good and made me also, yeah, learn Portuguese and. Tell the audience about Ulidio. Right now, Ulidio lives in South Africa because when the Mozambican contract workers came back to Mozambique after Germany, uh, there was a lot of um, envy and suspicious feelings of their of their of their friends of their families, especially in workplaces. It was it was really hard. They couldn't get jobs because people uh, had lived in civil war in Mozambique. And they saw the people that came from Germany as people that had a good time, you know. They were like, okay, you guys had a good time in Germany. Now you have to step back, you know. And so a lot of them went to work in the mines in South Africa. And so did Olidio. So he is still in South Africa. And so me coming with so many questions about the past, about, um, about Mozambique, about Germany, uh, about his life story made him yeah sit down and reflect and I just remember the first interview we did we didn't leave the room for six hours because yeah he really really went deep and talked and talked and talked and I think it, it was the first time he talked about Germany and and all this time I think since he's probably in yeah in South Africa so that was quite um yeah it was super interesting and beautiful and also, when Sarah, when the daughter, she saw the film, uh, she was really touched about some things that he said that are probably hard for him to tell her in person. But um, through listening for a long time and through asking a lot of questions, he told me these things, you know, these emotions. Yeah, it's quite beautiful that, yeah, that Sarah got so touched through this film. Uh, and yeah, he's just a very, very kind person. I met him really as a father for all which is kind of kind of paradox because for Sarah he cannot really be the father that she always wanted you know because he was far away and he couldn't really or he didn't make a big effort um yeah to keep contact that's just really hard uh, at the same time he is this loving person this loving father for so many kids in um in South Africa that are not even his kids it's really beautiful how the family is, yeah, how they define family in a different way than we do in Germany. So in the film, you will see him with different women. And sometimes I got asked, does he have three women? But this is just the like his girlfriend and then the the sister and the cousin of the girlfriend. And yeah, just people really share. And the kids kind of have um, several fathers, Um um, that they can go to. And I really saw him as this very, very, very loving person uh, and loving father. Um, for me, watching the film, uh, the story of his past is more of the background, the impetus for the story. But it seems to me that it's um, a personal journey uh, between a father and a daughter, mm -hmm. and especially more so Sarah's, Sarah's journey. You know, as uh, growing up black in Germany with with a white mother, anybody who's biracial knows that there's a different public per perception when you're with the parent who you don't look like. Her journey was interesting. Her personal journey was interesting. And and with her with her baby as well. So it seems to me that it's Sarah's journey 
and Mozambique is sort of like the frame for her story. Uh, Was it your intent to tell a personal story more than the political? The political was always our starting point, but I was actually my initial idea was to show um, three people um, in that family that kind of need to cope with the situation of yeah, of having this experience of being in two countries or living in two countries, like how do they cope with the distance? How do they cope, yeah, with their personal challenges? Um, I wanted to have three protagonists, so Sara, Elidio, and the uh, and Eduardo that until now we haven't talked about, um, but who's the father of Sara's baby, <laughs> and who also lives in Mozambique. So I wanted all of them equally represented in the film. So I also filmed with all of them very equally. But at the end in the edit, um, we just came back to to Sarah because she is the one who has like this need and we can really nicely follow with her. It was the best way to tell the story following her. But I think thanks to filming with all of the protagonists, um, yeah, the same amount and the same... I think you can still feel in the film that... Um, I love all of them, you know, and um, they are kind of, um, even if they don't have the same screen time, um, you can connect to all of them. It's interesting to see Eduardo, who is in Mozambique, kind of having the same story in the fact that he's separated from the German woman who is the the mother of his child. So it's kind of like a a reverse, a reversal. Tell me about developing your relationship with Eduardo. Okay, I need to go back in time because we shot in 2019. <laughs> ah. um, yeah, I, with Eduardo was funny because um, he is the person that is really outgoing and seems really confident. And he was in love with this idea of being a protagonist in a film, you know? So in the beginning, my idea... Um, of having a very observational style it just didn't work out with him because he just always wanted to talk to me even while shooting and show me things and at one point I I just stopped um, being too strict on the script you know or on what I was planning to do and I just let him talk because that was the natural way during our shootings and yeah I mean not so many scenes made it in the film with him but um, yeah, you can see that he has a bit of a different, like the scenes with him have a bit of a different style because he he just, um, yeah, wants to talk <laughs> while, while filming. Yeah, actually the second time I went back, I connected even more with him because I was, there was not, uh, Sarah was not there. And yeah, we, we also got like a nice um, connection. He saw the film, he liked the film. He is still really, really, <laughs> in love with with his daughter of course and i'm also very happy that for them that they have this this document this film um that shows their first encounter i think that's really beautiful economically he's also stuck like Eulidio in the fact that he doesn't have money to go and visit sarah so yeah. he's dependent he's dependent on when she returns i do like the scenes with him and his daughter little luana who seems to love your camera. 
<laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> That's the one thing about, you know, filming children is that you can't tell them don't look at the camera. <laughs> yes. And also, and also, she must have become used to you, right? Yes, 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 totally. I mean, we spend so much time together also without filming and um, she she got super used to it. <laughs> so this is your first uh, feature length documentary mm-hmm. and it's screening at, at Hot Docs. So I always like to ask for t- first time uh, festival uh, success stories. What was it like when you received... Uh, the information that your film had gotten into the festival. Yeah, so Hot Dogs is, I mean, worldwide known um, as one of the, yeah, the the biggest, the best <laughs> documentary film festivals. So I just couldn't believe my my university final project made it there. And I'm so excited um, to see all the films and, and network and meet people and, yeah, and share the story. So it's... Yeah, it's really amazing. <laughs> so uh, where were you when you received the news? Actually, I was in Portugal. Yes, I was in Portugal at this time. I remember um, getting the email and yeah, I was living in a community. Of course, everybody had to know we're celebrating it. <laughs> I didn't mention this at the top, but you're also a circus teacher. so what do the people in your circus world think about your film going to be at a international documentary festival of course everybody is like proud but yeah I kind of I kind of have these words still a bit separated you know so I'm I'm in this film world and I'm in the circus world and for now the words I don't have so much um yeah it's a bit separated so I mostly talk with my film friends about the film stuff <laughs> um, because they know hot dogs, you know, they can, they understand what it means to be there. But I feel like my next project will try to combine these two words more because I'm really, um, yeah, a person that loves to work with the body. And uh, I feel like the next project will also probably go in that direction yeah um filmmaking is also writing being on the laptop editing so um I just also love to connect in in my case with children in circus and and teach and share and this is like this very direct uh kind of kind of work uh, it's often in social projects and yeah I I love the balance and it's not usual that's for sure but for me it's really been yeah beneficial so may I ask, where do you study circus? So I did a formation as a circus teacher, not as a circus artist. Um, and I did that in Hamburg. I did it next to film school. There was like weekend seminars over two years. Congratulations on your first film. Thank you. And uh, will you be able to come to Hot Docs for the screenings? I will be there, yes. Okay. <laughs> It's been a pleasure talking to you. My apologies for my cold, um, but uh, it's been nice talking to you and hearing you talk about uh, this journey that you went on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Canadian International Documentary Festival runs April 27th to May 7th. Brenda's film, The Homes We Carry, will be screening on Friday, April 28th. 8.15 p.m. at the Scotiabank Theatre. 
And the second and final screening will take place Monday, May the 1st, 11.30 a.m. at the Scotiabank Theatre. For more information, hotdocs.ca. That's H-O-T-D-O-C-S dot C-A. CIUT 89.5, the sound of your city. Stream CIUT at www.ciut.fm.